Amen. I do too. Well, it's good to see all of you here tonight to begin the book of Galatians. How many love the Word of God? Now we're going we're gonna to learn. I think there's ever a time when the church really needs to know the Word of God. It's now. You know, so many churches just aren't teaching it anymore I, for whatever reason. But you guys are going to become theologians if you stand around, hang around Wednesday nights much longer. We've been through a lot of books. And uh, Galatians is likely Paul's very first letter. And so it's a, it's a life changer. And I'm going to read all about it in just a moment. But um, I want us to pray because God's going to give us understanding. He's going to open our eyes. And the truths that we're going to be sharing, we've got to know if we're going to walk successfully with Jesus. And there's nothing better than the Word. The entrance of thy Word gives light, said David. It gives understanding to the simple, and that be us. We're the simple. Amen? And uh, David loved the Word. Psalms 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, is every single verse lifting up the Word of God, magnifying the Word of the Lord. You ought to read Psalms 119. It'll take you, take you a little while. It's long, but every verse is about the Word of God and its power. So tonight we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at Galatians and get into this incredible letter. Father, we just thank you right now that you're here by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is the great teacher. And we pray you will open our understanding, open our eyes, and give us that light that David talked about. And Lord, you said that his, your word was truth, and it was life, and that it gave life. And we pray that life is imparted tonight through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good. Amen. God bless you. Laura does such a great job with these graphics, and that's a great graphic for Galatians. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So we're going to learn how to stay free in Jesus' name. Now let's look at Galatians tonight. I, I believe the, the notes are ready. I, I don't see Valerie, but are the notes available? They are. So if you want the notes, they're back there. If you want to grab them on your way out, if you didn't get them on the way in, uh, the notes are available. So let's look at this now. Paul's letter to the Galatians runs approximately 2,400 words. It's the size of a small pamphlet. It shows us Paul's soul on fire. If I can just be honest with you, he's angry as he writes this letter. He's angry. He's sizzling over what has happened to this young church. Now, it shows us uh, his soul on fire. It's aimed at silencing the Judaizers who insisted on mixing law with grace, diluting the pure message of grace. If you want to know the motivations of Galatians, it's this, uh, that the gospel is we are saved by grace alone. You can't add to it. You can't dilute it. can't pollute it. You can't take away from it. It is what it is. And people were messing with it in Paul's day, and he's angry. Now, he wanted to silence the Judaizers who were mixing the gospel up with the law, but it also defines exactly what Christianity really is. Martin Luther, 
the preacher of the Reformation, the monk who got saved, uh, loved this epistle. He said, it's my epistle. He said, I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. That's what Luther said about Galatians. It is my wife. Now, he got married later, and I think he made a switch. <laughs> but at this time, he said, it's my wife. Now, the letter to the Galatians became Luther's dagger to plunge into the heart of an erring Catholic church during his day. He used the message of Galatians. He was wedded to it. Now, the reference to liberty occurs 11 times in this letter. So 11 times, liberty, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. 11 times you find it in this little bitty letter of 2,400 words. The name Christ is found 43 times. Then he goes on, the law, the word law is referred to 31 times, and faith is found 22 times. The word bondage and its kindred words occur 11 times, and the cross is mentioned six times. Now, interestingly, of the 15 times the phrase works of the flesh is found, eight of them have to do with sins of strife. Talk about strife among believers. Gee, that never happens, right? <laughs> All right. We find that the Galatians had welcomed Paul with open arms and had received him. Indeed, the Bible says, as an angel of God, Galatians 4.14, they had received him as a, as a veritable angel of God. Uh, had it been possible, they went on to say in verse 15 of chapter 4, they would have plucked out their own eyes and have given them to him. Now, that's a reference to he had eye trouble. We don't know what the eye trouble was, but Paul had something with his eyes. He, he was either really myopic or he had some kind of a disease. Uh, there was another place in the Bible where we are, and, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say disease because the guy prayed for people and they were healed all the time. So I don't know if it was actual disease, but something was wrong. When, when he signed a letter, it was in giant letters because he couldn't see well. So he said, I know that if you could have, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's how much you love me. That's how much I meant to you. That's powerful. But this hospitable attitude didn't last. They became prejudiced against Paul because of false teachers who persuaded them to embrace another gospel. Can you say that little phrase with me? Another gospel. Well, that's important. It was important back then, and it's important today. Another gospel. We're going to look at that more closely in a moment. Now, Paul goes so far as to say that they had been bewitched. Who has bewitched you? He asked them. And have become as ready to bite and devour one another as they were to change teachers and gospels. So something had gotten into this church. Something had infiltrated this church. And when Paul left it, it was this, this young community of new believers that were thriving and doing great. And in his absence, in came these false teachers, infiltrated what was going on. And man, was it causing trouble. To the place where he said, who's bewitched you? Who, is, who has put you under a spell that this has happened to you so quickly when you had 
have been introduced to the real gospel and had great teaching. Who did this to you? How did this happen so fast? We're going to see in our study that the Galatians were brave and enthusiastic, but they were also susceptible to quick impressions and sudden changes. In other words, they were gullible, they were easy targets, and the enemy took advantage of it. Yet Paul loved them. He always did. He was a lover. He loved people. He refused to write them off just because false teachers had hypnotized them. He could have said, well, if you're that dumb, go on. I'm done with you. But he said, no, he didn't do that. His response was to pick up his pen and fire off this letter. Perhaps the first of all of his letters, we're pretty convinced it was the first one he ever wrote. Now, in doing so, he did you and me a favor. Because we too still have among us those who would like to make us bow to legalism or some other error. We're living in a day, church, filled with error, filled with doctrinal error. It's stunning sometimes. I'm amazed at what Christians believe sometimes. And I can almost say to a few that, that I even know, who's bewitched you? What spell have you fallen under that having been birthed in sound doctrine. Now you've gone off in this direction. How has this happened to you? Well, the enemy appears as an angel of light. Uh, The enemy of our soul doesn't appear as some ugly uh, devil with a tail and horns and a pitchfork or um, some gruesome creature. He's very, very, very good at coming on the scene as a very angel of light magnetic, appealing to the eye and to the flesh and to the pride of life. And if you're not careful, you can be really on in years with God and still become deceived. That's why we need the Word of God so badly. Amen? Now, Paul begins the letter with his signature, Paul. Paul's signature on a letter was worth millions in spiritual currency. His name on an epistle is like the name of Mozart on a musical score or the name Rembrandt on a painting or the name Rockefeller on a check or the word Sterling on silver. If Paul's name was on it, wow. Brightest man of his day. More wisdom than any of the apostles. I've said to you often, I don't worship the man. I I really don't. He gets a bad rap in our day because people don't understand the word of God and what he really taught. But I think Paul was the single greatest Christian to ever live. No doubt in my mind about it. Uh, Peter was a great Christian. John, incredible Christian. But Paul just seemed to have an edge that none of the others had. Now, that doesn't diminish what they wrote because they all wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And every word they wrote is true. I'm just talking about their life. Paul was just the cat's meow. Okay? Now... Paul was the the church's greatest thinker, no doubt about it, greatest missionary, greatest apologist, that means defender of the faith, greatest theologian, greatest enthusiast, and the church's greatest apostle. No doubt about it. He was. Now, when they saw his name, they pictured the extraordinary Jew who could preach like an archangel, was bold as a lion, tender as a nurse, and honest as the sunshine, wiser than Solomon, more patient than Job, and was mightily armed with spiritual authority and power. That was Paul. Now, chapter 1, verse 1. 
Let's begin, and here's Paul introducing himself. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul is answering, keep in mind that his critics have been undermining him, saying that he wasn't a real apostle, saying that the other apostles were genuine, but Paul never saw Jesus himself in person like they had. They were, they were undermining his authority and attacking him from every side. So he comes right out of the chute defending not himself, but his call and his apostleship. He said, I'm an apostle. Let me tell you where it came from. It didn't come from men. It did not come through a man. My apostleship came from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, let me tell you the truth about ministry today. Every man, every woman called to ministry ought to be able to say, my calling did not come from men. All men do is confirm what God has already revealed. But my calling has come from God. And if you can't say that, then you need to get out of that ministry because God appoints and then God anoints. And so I can tell you, my calling didn't come from men. Men confirmed my calling, but it didn't come from men. men. It wasn't man's idea. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. It was God's call. And men only confirmed it. When we anoint people or license people and ordain people in this church, as we did recently, we licensed three men. We're not calling them. We are only affirming that God has called them. The calling is of God, and that's where Paul began. His very first words are an indignant denial of the lies his enemies were telling about him, lies that the Galatians, unfortunately, had believed. Jews from Jerusalem had been troubling the infant Galatian churches. They had sought to undermine Paul's authority. They resented Paul's reaching out to the Gentiles, and that was the rub. They were Jews, and they, didn't, they did not embrace the idea that God would extend his grace to the Gentile world. But every Gentile in here tonight say, I'm so glad he did. Amen? Because one day Paul reached the point where he, he just brushed the dust off his feet and said, you know what I'm done trying to reach the Jews? I'm going to the Gentiles. They'll listen. And thank God he did. So they attacked his calling, his credentials. And his message, they claimed that Paul was making changes in the gospel by teaching against the necessity of circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, and abiding the ritual requirements of the Mosaic Law. They were saying, what is he doing preaching grace only and not also the law? Because they believed you had to mix the law with grace. In other words, these false teachers insisted on the old requirements of the law mixed in with the grace of Christ. In other words, there was a performance factor involved. You're going to have to do certain things to get saved. It's not just a free gift from God. It's going to take some performance, some works, some doing on your part to seal your salvation. Nothing made Paul matter than that. I mean, if you want to get Paul angry, that's what did it. When you took away from pure grace and added works to it, he said, that's it. You have, you have crossed the line. Now you're going to hear from me. And that's what Galatians is all about. Now, Paul countered 
with a red-hot defense of his apostleship and his calling. He said, mine has been the mighty ordination of the nail-pierced hands. Boy, I love that. Mine has been the mighty ordination of the nail-pierced hands. No less than 19 times Paul claims to be an apostle. And his message was that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead had changed everything had changed everything and had rendered Judaism obsolete. Remember when Jesus died and the veil in the temple was rent in half? That veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Only the priest could go into the holy of holies before Jesus died. But when Jesus died, an invisible hand, I think it was a mighty angel, grabbed this incredibly thick, long curtain and with supernatural strength just ripped it top to bottom. What was God saying? Because of the sacrifice of my son, the Old Testament way, the Old Testament sacrifice, the Old Testament methodology is done away with. Now anybody who leans on him and calls on him and receives the sacrifice of his blood can enter the holy of holies himself. Tonight as we worship, we were in the holy of holies. Amen? And anytime you want to enter the Holy of Holies, you can do it in your car, in rush hour traffic. Lift up your hands. Well, don't lift up your hands. <laughs> lift up your voice and just begin to sing. And, and, and the Lord enters that place because now the veil is rent in half. And you are all priests of God. You are a chosen generation. You are a ro royal priesthood, a holy nation. So whereas the priest alone could walk through that curtain in olden days, now we all can do it. Judaism, Old Testament Judaism, was rendered obsolete by the sacrifice of Jesus. And Paul was not alone in his stand, mentioning in verse 2, he says, quote, and all the brethren who are with me, in other words, who agree with me, they're not just here geographically, but they agree with me. Paul's message is encapsulated in his famous passage, and I want us to read this together, because this is Paul's song. Are you ready? Let's read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you want to know Paul's message in a nutshell, that's it right there. That's what Galatians is all about. This is what he's defending, that we have been saved by pure, undeserved favor, grace. There wasn't one work involved in it. And that's real hard for us to get a hold of because we, we always think there's something I've got to do. No, there's nothing that you can do but believe. And when you put your faith in him, you're saved by grace, through faith, not of works or good deeds, works of righteousness we have done. Lest anybody should boast and say, well, it was because I did this and I did that that I'm saved. No, you don't have a boast. None of us have a boast. That's why when we get to heaven, it's going to be one great big worship session. That's why when we get to glory, all the crowns that we have been given, we're going to take off and put at his feet because there will be no reason to boast. We have been snatched from the jaws of hell by grace and grace alone, period. That's it. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. 
Galatians consists of three parts. First, there is an explanation in which Paul deals largely with matters of a historical nature. Then comes an exposition in which Paul lays out the foundation of sound doctrine. And finally, there is an exhortation in which Paul appeals for a practical Christian living, which he always does. And it's going to be a great, great study. You're going to get so much out of this, and it's going to build your faith. Now, he begins verse 3 with his favorite word, which is grace, followed by his second favorite word, which is peace. Let's read verse 3 together, can we? Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The order is on purpose because you don't have God's peace until you've had God's grace. When you receive God's grace, peace follows. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle is over. It's over when you come to Christ and he forgives you. The battle with God, which we've, we're all involved in, B.C., is over. And we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, where do peace and grace come from? He says, God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Simple grace, saving grace, undeserved sovereign favor and grace proceed from God and Jesus Christ, His Son, to deliver us, quote, according to His will. All the initiative in our salvation comes from above, not from us. I, I, I like to say sometimes, dead people don't seek God. And the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So dead people don't seek God. It, it's really kind of wrong if we get up and say, well, you know what? Praise God. Last night, I found the Lord. You never found the Lord. He found you. Because you were dead. You know what dead people do? They lay there dead. And they don't get up and seek anything. God, by grace, came knocking on the door of your heart. He quickened you by his spirit. He convicted you of sin when you didn't know you were in sin. He showed you the reality of the sacrifice of his son. When you got saved, it was all the doing of God. Yes, you had to repent, but God's the one that came knocking. God's the one that came seeking. God's the one that came finding. So we owe it all to him. According to his will, all the initiative was on the part of God. Now, verses 4 and 5, here's what he says. Who gave himself, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the word deliver, when it says God delivered us, means to rescue from danger. A while back, we have a little chihuahua who, who thinks that Kathy is Jesus. <laughs> because every time she comes home, he goes on a barking fit, which is his form of Handel's Messiah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Every time she walks in the door, when I walk in, he doesn't even look up. But when she walks in, it's Jesus came. Jesus came back every single time. Now, one day, I just happened to be walking. We have a little fountain out back. And one day, I just happened to be walking by the door that's glass. And I looked out just in time to see it was fall. And the leaves had fallen on top of this fountain so that it looked like a ground. And I looked just out of my peripheral vision. I just happened to see Poppy, that's his name, Poppy, fall in. He thought the leaves were ground. He just went walking right on. And bloop, he was gone. 
bloop, right underneath. And it was freezing cold. I yelled. And it was one of those things where you're running, but it's all slow motion. Oh, no. You know the feeling, right? Because you can't get there fast enough. And I ran up to that fountain and seemed to me like by the time I got there, he'd been under there forever. And his little nose was sticking up and you could see it in his eyes. I'm gone. I'm a goner. But see, here's what happened. I rescued him from certain destruction. He could never have gotten out on his own. It could never have happened. I had to see him. I had to go to him. I had to reach my hand in and pull him out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set his feet on a rock, and establish his goings, and put a new song in his mouth. <laughs> Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. If you want to know what deliver means, that's what it means. So you were sinking, friend. You were under. You were dead. You were perishing. You were hellbound. And the Lord said, I see you. He ran to you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. He came knocking on the door of your heart by the Holy Ghost for you. He sought you out in the deepest, darkest corners of your sinful lifestyle. He found you. He pulled you up out of that horrible pit of sin and destruction, filled you with his Holy Spirit, really did put a new song in your mouth, and none of it had to do with you because you couldn't do anything to save yourself. That's the same thing. To rescue from danger, deliver. The word evil, he rescued us not just from danger, but from an evil world. Evil comes from the Greek word poneros. We get pornography from that word, poneros. It means evil. And it carries the idea of labor and pain and sorrow and malignant evil. That's what it means. He, he delivered us. Matter of fact, I put it down here. The word for world, let's look at it. The world he saved us from is not God's beautiful creation, but it's ion. It means age. And in other words, Jesus came to rescue us from this present age of malignant evil, an age controlled by its God, Satan. Satan is the God of the world system that we're in right now that is so filled with evil, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. This world, this age, the culture that we're in is a toxic culture. It is a toxic evil culture. Because the devil is the God of the culture, of the age. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, whose minds, talking about people, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What does the enemy do? He blinds people's minds. They can't see the truth. I mean, you've all experienced talking to somebody about Jesus, and for some reason, they just can't see it. There's a veil there. They don't get it. I went through that for years and years with my father. 
And, and I've experienced it with so many people. And I, and I experience it every week as I preach to the crowds that come. I can, I can always spot people who I can tell just aren't getting it. There is a blindness. And that's the enemy's job, to blind. And he's the God of this world. Now next, Paul gets right to it, the reason for his letter, verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel. Now pay real close attention to that, the last two words, another gospel. He says, I'm shocked. I can't believe you have been led astray so quickly to another gospel. He's shocked. He's disappointed. The word marvel, when he says, I marvel at this, carries with it the idea of surprise at the unexpected. The news of the defection of the Galatians seems to have taken Paul off guard. He had left them in good shape. Folks, they had embraced another gospel, not the gospel of Christ. They had been robbed away, lured away, enticed and seduced away from the real, saving, simple gospel. And Paul says, I just can't believe it. I can't believe this has happened. Now, their assemblies have been left in the care of hand-picked elders. Think about that. Uh, they have been well taken care of. Hand-picked elders were, were left in charge of this church. It was not a mere handful uh, that had been led astray, but the Galatians' wholesale abandonment of the truth. They had been hornswoggled. They were in dangerous territory, and Paul is shocked about it. The phrase when he says, so soon, how did this happen so soon? comes from a word suggesting the defection had been hasty, a step taken without thought, and they jumped without searching the Scriptures, which I always tell you to do. I always encourage you to do. If you hear something, check the Scriptures to see if it's true. How often do we see people immediately swallowing something that is false, that is erroneous, because the, the person who's saying it to them is charismatic, or because it initially sounds good to them, and they bite the bait. Same thing, they jumped. They just jumped. They said, well, that sounds good. Gosh, why didn't Paul tell us that? And they swallowed the bait, and they got lured away, and they were no longer resting in grace only. The Galatians had only recently been evangelized. They were essentially newborns. The good seed had hardly barely taken root, had hardly come to fruit. And that last, they drifted from sound doctrine. What did they jump to? They jumped to another gospel. Now, remember when Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares, and he said tares are going to grow up right next to the wheat, and only God is going to separate the tares from the wheat in the final judgment? And the tares are going to be bundled together and burned. And the wheat is going to be carried into life everlasting. The wheat being the true believers and the tares being the false. Remember that? If you know anything about wheat and tares, you know that tares growing up next to wheat look just like wheat. Until it's full grown. And then you can tell certain differences. But for the most part, when you look at wheat and tares together, they look just the same. But they're not the same. One's real, one's phony. One's right, one's wrong. One's good and one is bad. 
Now, the terror was another gospel. He then adds in verse 7, which is not another, and that's the second use of the word another, mark that, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you, and what do they want to do with the gospel of Christ? Pervert it. They want to pervert it. And folks, please believe me when I tell you, not everything on Christian TV is Christian. I'm going to step out and say that one more time. Not everything on Christian TV is Christian or sound or good doctrine or wholesome. Let me put it another way. On Christian TV, there are tares. And it's about time we got smart and started looking and not just because somebody is charismatic or has a name or looks good on TV. We're not supposed to gravitate to looks or to charisma. We're supposed to gravitate to truth. And so just because they sound right, look right, doesn't mean they are right. We got to wise up and say, wait a minute. Now, I, I heard what you said. Let me check out the word and see if what you just said is true. And you'll find that not everything that says is Christian is, is Christian. Now, there are some Christians that are on Christian TV, but there are some terrors too. And boy, are they terrors. Now, and they, want, and they do pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the first another that Paul uses in verse 6, let me go back real quick. When he says in verse 6, if I can find it, and I'm not going to be able to find it, but that's okay. The first another, you have been taken away to another gospel. Paul uses in verse 6 is the Greek word heteros. That's the word for another. Heteros, meaning another of a different kind. His second use of another in verse 7 is the word alas, meaning another of the same kind. So you could have another of a totally different kind or another of the same kind. Now, which another was Paul talking about when he said another gospel? It was heteros, a totally different kind. Not the same species, not cut from the same cloth, a totally different gospel, heteros. Paul is saying that the false gospel they had embraced was utterly unlike Christ's gospel. It was a gospel of a totally different kind. He says, I'm astonished that you have so soon switched to a heteros, another, a gospel of a totally different kind. It is not the gospel of Christ. It's not the same species. It's not of the same ilk. It's, it's different, totally different. And I want to suggest to you that right now, you can turn on a Christian TV or Christian radio, and I'm on Christian radio you can pick up certain books in Christian bookstores. You can go to Christian bookseller conventions. And I guarantee you there are books that are preaching a gospel of a totally different kind. You couldn't get saved reading it. You couldn't get born again reading it. You couldn't come to know Christ reading it. It's a totally different kind. The gospel of the Judaizers was so radically different from uh, what Paul preached that it was no gospel at all. 
The false teachers had perverted the true gospel. The word for pervert means to transform something into something of the opposite character. When you pervert something, you take something that is one way and you totally transform it into something completely different that God did not intend. Can I be bold enough as long as I'm being bold tonight? Good example would be this same-sex marriage issue. God gave us, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Today, there is an attempt to pervert that and make marriage something of a totally different kind that God never intended. Okay? So you can take something good that God made and then you change it. You, you twist it, you skew it until it's unrecognizable from what God intended. This gospel these Judaizers were preaching was unrecognizable as the original gospel. So Paul is shocked. How could you believe this? Paul preached that salvation was full and free. All of the doing had been done. The Judaizers were preaching bad news. You have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. And you have to keep the Sabbath. You have to earn your salvation. Paul labels this, say it with me, perversion. Anything that tells you that your salvation depends on more than grace is a perversion. Now next, Paul is going to release some of the strongest language found in the New Testament. <laughs> That's why I like Paul. He wasn't worried about what people thought about what he said. Usually in Scripture, the strongest language is reserved for the murderer, the adulterer, you know, the extortioner, you name it. But now Paul pours out a divinely inspired barrage of condemnation against these Judaizers that were perverting the gospel or anyone else who propagates false doctrine. And he says, verse 8 and 9, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be, say it with me, accursed. The word anathema. Let him be accursed. Now, he didn't stop there. He wanted to be sure they got it. So he says it again. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Wow. Strong stuff. Let him be accursed. Very strong language. Here's what it means. May the divine curse rest upon him. Ooh, that makes you want to be real sure you're preaching grace. Because if you're not preaching grace, that you're saved only by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, not of any works, lest you should boast about it, but it's all of him and none of you. If you're not preaching that, Paul's words are reaching down through the centuries. They fall right on you. Let him be cursed. Now, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want is to be under a curse. I want to be under a blessing. Anybody in here agree with me? I want to be under a blessing. So when I preach the gospel, I say, hey, you're saved by grace through faith. Now, works come later, but works don't get you saved. Works show that you are saved. That's all. But no work saves you. 
The curse of God rests on the man, the woman, or the evil spirit who preaches another gospel. John wrote in the Revelation, quote, And I solemnly declare to everyone, this is the end of the book of Revelation, the very end. I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if every, anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life, uh-oh, and in the holy city that are described in this book. So if you want to get in big trouble with God, preach something other than saved by grace through faith. Say with me, saved by grace. Through faith, not of any works. Let's try it one more time because this is Paul's passion. Are you ready? Saved by grace through faith, not of works. Grace is free, undeserved favor. I could have looked at Poppy and said, it's been real. But I freely ran out in the freezing cold freely reach down in that freezing water. Okay? Now, why is Scripture so harsh on this issue? Because the souls of men and women hang in the balance of an accurately preached gospel. If the gospel is twisted and changed, the listener will not respond to the saving of his soul. Jesus died on the cross, suffering unimaginably that we might be saved. To take away from this message is a slap in the face of God. To tamper with so great salvation is to tamper with the eternal destiny of a soul. Paul feels it so strongly that he says it twice. So if you're lost and I say to you, well, yeah, you can be saved. Come to Jesus, but you're going to have to do this, this, and this along with grace to be saved. I'm in trouble because that's not true. You don't have to do a thing. Just as I am without one plea. Now, any kind of teaching that minimizes salvation through grace alone is another gospel of a totally different kind. A gospel of a totally different kind. The purveyor of the message shall be accursed. If you look at the cults, they all have one thing in common. I challenge you to show me a cult that doesn't. That is, they all require that You've got to do something in order to earn your salvation. Works righteousness. Every one of the cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, you've got to do something. And if you don't do certain things, you will not be saved. Christianity stands completely alone among the religions of the world in its message. By grace and grace alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast. As a Christian, this ought to be your first memory verse following John 3, 16. Wear it around your neck. Brand it on your memory. Emblazon it on your heart. You are saved by grace alone. Now let me ask you a question, and I'm not going to linger long here, but here I go. If you're saved by grace... Why do some believe you've got to keep your salvation by works? If you didn't get it by works, you don't keep it by works. You're kept by grace. 
No good deed can be done should you live to be a thousand years old that could ever save you. It's all by grace alone. Let's stand together, can we? Now, we're closing out a little bit early tonight, but that's all right. And, of course, the teenagers are going to be in there not knowing we closed early. So if you've got a teenager, God bless you, fellowship, get some coffee, consider what you've heard tonight. But I want to ask you a question. Are you resting in grace alone? You know what it does for you? If I know that my salvation is not on me, I can rest. If I think it's hinging on my performance, I am uptight all the time. Some people think you lose it, get it back. 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 Mm -mm. You're kept by grace. You're sealed by grace. And if you happen to walk away from the Lord, he's got a woodshed. And he has a paddle. And he will chasten you sore. He will find you in your backslidden state. And he will whoop you. And if I could tell you what chastening means in the Greek language, it's severe. God blisters your bottom. If you walk away from him, he'll find you. But he doesn't disown you. prodigal son's father did not disown him. Amen? Amen? Now, Father, we just thank you for grace tonight. Can we lift our hands and just thank God for the grace of God? Thank God for the grace of God. Lord, by grace we have been saved through faith. We didn't have a thing to do with it. You did it. And now, Lord, we thank you for the peace that follows grace. Lord, thank you for so great a salvation that it does not hinge on our performance. For, Lord, we would fail. But you do not fail, and you do not forsake us. And you do forgive us when we fail. And you pick us up, and you dust us off and you forgive us and you encourage us to get on down the road of life. So thank you, Lord, for this initial cry from the book of Galatians, the heart of Paul's message, grace and grace alone through faith. I'd like to sing Amazing Grace since we're talking about grace. How many of you can say that grace is amazing? Amen.